Our text today is found in the book of Psalms, Psalm 115. It is not a text in the traditional sense, but I will be reading it and uh, it will tie in with the sermon. I'll read the entire psalm, follow along if you would, as I read Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down in silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. The past two Sundays, we've been looking at the question, why do we do what we do here at the church on Melrose in our public worship? And as we've seen in a word, it is liturgy. Among the things that we have seen is the reality that what we do here Sunday morning primes us or prepares us for the coming week as we walk through the world. I say primes or prepares because the reality is that we live most of our life away from this place. We are here for an hour and a half at most on Sunday mornings. Um, Otherwise, if this was not a place to be primed and prepared, we would be here all day, every day, 24-7 as the expression goes. One of the marks of the Reformation was that they locked the church's doors Sunday nights. In other words, it's like, don't stay here all the time. You've been here for the Sunday morning service. You need to spend time with your families. That is important. Um, You've worshipped God, you've been primed if you wish, you've been prepared, now go out into the world and live your lives. What we have seen as we've listed and outlined uh, our services is that we are prepared by God's grace to obey him and to not fear. And so Dave sang to us and we responded, I will not fear. We are prepared to open our hearts to hear God speaking to us, as Gia has read to us and Zib as well to hear him from the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We are prepared to acknowledge and confess our sins and to hear the promise of forgiveness. As disheartening as it may be, as we look ahead to the coming week, we must acknowledge that, in fact, we are sinners, we have sinned, and we will sin. But we must not allow that to weigh us down or to define us or to rob us of the forgiveness that we have through the Lord Jesus. And that's why we not only have the prayer of confession, we also have the promise of forgiveness. We prime our hearts to be grateful as we speak publicly of those things the Lord has done for us or in the lives of others. 
we remember that God is the source of all things. We also prepare our hearts to take our cares, our burdens, our needs, and those of others to our Father who is the source. More than that, he is the one who loves and who cares for us. We prime our hearts to be giving and generous, acknowledging that what we have comes from God. And so we return a part of it in gratitude and worship, but it also should prime us to be open-handed in the coming weeks as we come across those who may be in need. We've just had communion, the Lord's Supper, in which we remember, which is an important part of liturgy. Throughout the week, we should remember what Jesus has done. But also, in eating and drinking, which we will be doing the rest of this week as we have meals, we should reflect that we are dependent creatures. We cannot live apart from these things. And God has provided these things for us. So I've mentioned the past two Sundays, uh, Paul tells the Corinthians, who think, by the way, that they are very, very spiritual. They're like the angels. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Yes, even eating and drinking is to be done to the glory of God. In the sermon, we prepare our minds to listen, to learn, and to put into practice what we have heard. And then we have the doxology and benediction. Before we leave, there is praise and then a sense of presence. Throughout the service, there is prayer, which should prepare us to live lives of prayer through the coming week. Unfortunately, when most people hear about worship, forget liturgy. Liturgy is a word that would scare them off. When they hear the word worship, they have certain mistaken ideas. And the idea of doing the same thing every Sunday, of repetition, to them smacks of uh, ritualism, maybe salvation by works, that you keep doing something to gain God's favor. The reality is, what we do here on Sundays is, in fact, God acting first, and we respond in worship. It is God's action, and we receive what God has done, his grace, what he has done in our lives. So liturgy and worship is something, it's a meeting between God and his people, in which both parties act, not simply us, but it is something which God initiates. God begins this whole process, and we respond. It's the same way with prayer. Prayer doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. God speaks to us, and we respond in prayer. God initiates, and we respond in worship. We need to ask ourselves, in Christian worship, who is the primary actor? If we assume that we are, then in fact our worship becomes sort of this enterprise, this endeavor in which we want to express our praise and show our devotion, which there's nothing wrong with that, but we are performing, if you wish, for an audience of one, that somehow we are putting on a show for God, when in fact God has initiated this process. He has done a work of grace in our lives. He's called us here together today, and now we are responding in worship. If we think of ourselves as performers, then if you do the same thing over and over again, that might smack of a lack of sincerity. And we want our worship to be honest and true and authentic. Um, But if we're not careful, as we've seen the past two weeks, we will then buy into the liturgy of the mall. And so we will go for innovation. We want something new, something snappy, 
somehow get God's attention. Oftentimes, though, I think it's more to keep the attention of the people who are participating in the worship. We need to remember that the forms of worship are not neutral. We should not imagine that it doesn't matter what form you use as long as you've got the right words, the right sentiments, the right, you have sincerity or whatever, you can do it whatever way that you want. Um, We need to be careful. We need to be careful that we do not see Jesus as merely one more thing that can make me happy. So I come here and I worship, I put in quotation marks, so that somehow I can be happy when I leave this place. Historic Christianity has always argued that God is the primary actor or agent in the worship encounter. So it's not from the bottom up. It's from the top down that God speaks to us. He works in our lives and we respond in worship. It's the arena in which God transforms our hearts. He reforms our desires and he reshapes our, our lives into the image of Christ. It isn't simply something where God does something to us. Um, It is where he begins a process. He initiates a process and we respond. Again, the idea of doing the same thing every Sunday um, sometimes might seem tedious and less than authentic. Living when and where we do, novelty seems to be the name of the game. We want something new, something snappy. If you think that you worship God in order to show him how much you love him, you might feel hypocritical if you keep doing the same thing over and over again every Sunday. You will not feel authentic. You might imagine that there should be new ways of worship, new ways to express your devotion, fresh forms to express your praise. And oftentimes what happens is new forms come in and then are sort of baptized with Christian language, but the forms are as important as the message that is being conveyed. Our practices in worship are in fact meant to shape our lives, to shape our thinking, and to shape our desires. They are to create in us habits. To be a human being is to be a worshiping creature, to be a liturgical creature. This is true of all worship. This is what we find in our text today, that a worshiper of an idol becomes like the idol. We become like the thing that we worship. So the implication is that worship isn't just, uh, well, it isn't to be a venue for creative innovation. Let's do something new. But it is, in fact, something that seeks to shape your heart. And so if we're not careful, coming to church coming to church might end up being something like, I want to hear an inspirational message. I want to be inspired. Um, I want fuel to get me through the coming days. I want to be entertained. I want to feel good. I want to be happy, to be comforted, to feel excited, or to feel secure. Or in some cases, to be a winner. These forms shape much of Christian liturgy today, and they should not. 
I think one of the problems that we, we face and that we don't realize it is that we overestimate, and I, I think I've been guilty of this, that we overestimate the influence of thinking and, and uh, deliberation, where we in fact consciously think about things. On the other hand, the other side, we tend to est- underestimate the power and force of unconscious or subconscious processes. So last week we asked the question, which comes first, worldview or liturgy, beliefs or practices? And as James Smith wrote in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, before we articulate a worldview, we worship. That is, practice comes before belief. Before we put into words the matter of knowledge, we pray for God's healing and illumination. Before we theorize the nature of God, we sing his praises. Before we express moral principles, we receive forgiveness. Before we think, we pray. That's the kind of creatures we are. We are first and foremost loving creatures, desiring creatures, affective creatures, and liturgical creatures. Now, we don't live, even though we think this way oftentimes, we do not live in this world as thinkers or cognitive machines. So liturgy comes before worldview. Belief comes, or practices come before belief. Our problem is, in short, that we underestimate the power of habit. It has been suggested that 5% of what we do in a given day is a result of conscious and deliberate choices that we make. The rest of our actions, that's 95% of our actions and behaviors, are managed well below the surface. We move through the world without really thinking because we have developed habits. It doesn't make us robots. It doesn't mean that we are machines. Rather, it describes what we are as human beings and how we acquire ways of going through the world. When it comes to habits, we need to recognize that we can, require, or we can acquire these unintentionally as we do something over and over and over again, it becomes a habit. And before we know it, we're doing something. Get rid of this fly. If we, get, if we do something over and over again, after a while we are doing it without really thinking. It has, in fact, become a habit. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, oh no, you must be intentional in everything you do. I would submit if that's the case, you wouldn't get very much done. But we can also acquire habits intentionally. And this is what is to happen in liturgy. Unintentional acquiring of, of dispositions or habits can also happen in liturgy. But this is why I chose this particular text. It's found in Psalm 115. It's also repeated in Psalm 135. Their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. I don't think that someone who worships an image thinks to himself or herself, I want to be like that image. I want to be made of stone. I want to have a mouth that cannot speak or ears that cannot hear. 
but it can happen and the psalmist tells us that in fact it does happen I mentioned last Sunday that Christian worship can shape our character in one of opposing contrasts we have choices here passive versus serving when we come together to worship we might imagine that we have two choices that we can either be passive sit there in the pew or we can in fact be servants people who serve If we imagine that we are here to be passive, then coming to church isn't really a priority. If, on the other hand, we believe that we come together to worship God, to prepare ourselves for the week to come, to practice in microcosm what we're going to be, do the next, be doing the next six days, to serve, then, in fact, it becomes a priority. In the same way that we learn to listen for the voice of God in Scripture, to confess our sins and listen for his forgiveness, to give thanks for what God has done in our lives and the lives of others, to present our needs before God, to be open-handed in our giving, and to eat and drink to the glory of God, these and more, in the same way when we come together, we are to learn to be servants. We are to learn to serve. As I mentioned, in our service, there are limited opportunities to serve. Dave sang to us the opening responsive song. Gia read to us from Jeremiah, Zib from the book of Matthew. Uh, Ken and Rory served us communion. But we need to carry with us the spirit of service. Whether or not we serve communion, whether or not we read from the scripture, The idea of being servants is something that should be ingrained in us as we meet together. That as we come together and develop a a servant spirit, if you wish, it prepares us for the next six days not to feel entitled that people are there to serve me, but in fact I am there to serve others. The second contrast we looked at was are we here to be entertained or to be engaged? In connection with passivity versus service, there comes that, that, that question, why am I here? Um, if you see your being here a matter of passivity, then I would imagine that you have not come to be engaged or to engage, but rather to be entertained. And as I spoke to different people after the service last week, um, this includes gaining information. That come to church because I really want to learn a lot. And it becomes, I think, a matter of passivity and Entertainment isn't the word that comes to mind, but I think it is a form of entertainment. Rather than thinking, I'm here to engage, I'm to listen, and then as I hear this, by God's grace, I'm going to say, okay, how can I put this into practice? Oftentimes, worship is seen as either emotional or intellectual. That either it is to create good feelings in me, or it is to feed my mind. Um, Yeah, um, that's not why we come together to worship God. Information is like food. It can be delightful, but it is to be nourishing. And if we are not careful, information or the sermon or whatever can in fact become something that is more of a, a delight rather than something that nourishes and feeds us. We are more than merely thinking creatures. We are to be engaged as we worship. As someone sings to us, because the Lord is my salvation, 
we respond. When someone reads the scripture, we are to listen carefully. When we read the prayer of confession, we are to be engaged and not simply reading. As we sing, as we give, as we eat and drink, as you listen to the sermon, we are to be engaged. Which leads to the third contrast, and that is, are we here to be formed or informed? Christian worship, and this is more than merely the sermon, is to be forming more than to be mere informing. Without question, information is part of the process. Informing is part of what goes on in worship. But it is not to take the place of forming. I submit to you that liturgy, that worship, is fundamentally a matter of shaping us, of forming us, of making us, creating us as a certain kind of people. And what makes us different from others should not be what we know, the information that we carry, but in fact how we live our lives. How that information, how that knowledge has in fact transformed us so that when we leave this place, in which we are we're here, we're away from this place 98% of the week, that in fact what we have heard, what we have sung, what we've heard as people have read to us, as we pray, all of these things, it shapes us. It forms us into the people God wants us to be. There are a lot more things that could be said about worship, but I want to close now and end this series and just mention a few more things. We need to recognize that worship is to shape our character. We are liturgical creatures, which means that we all worship. Everybody worships. Even atheists worship. Okay? They have a liturgy that shapes their lives, that guides their lives toward a particular end. There's a purpose, there's something that they're shooting for, and that's why they do the things that they do. The question we need to ask ourselves is, what do we worship? Which leads to the next question, what do we want? What do we desire? In the Lord's Prayer, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which is not a form of escapism, that we're out of here, but rather it is one of being reshaped, of being formed into the image of Christ. God has begun the project of renewing all things, and it begins here, Sunday morning, as we meet together, and it prepares us for the week to come. Christian worship sees Scripture as a narration of an unfolding drama. God has been acting throughout history. He's not just off somewhere, not involved at all. And when we come together to worship, we acknowledge that we are part of that story. He comes to us, he calls us together, and we respond in worship. We are made in the image of God. We are being reshaped, reformed in the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus, to the praise of his glory. I think we should also recognize that worship is to capture perhaps recapture is the better verb, our imagination. Worship should tell us a story as we come together. It makes us want or long for something better, a better country. I mentioned a quote last week from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain. The joys of heaven are for the most of us in our present condition an acquired taste. And when we come together to worship 
think we are to develop that taste for heaven, for a better country. Listen to what we are told about our brothers and sisters in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, as we hear their stories in Hebrews 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Amazing words follow. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Christian worship should point us, should remind us of a better country. Week after week, Christian worship points us to what could be. It should let the Spirit of God, with whom nothing is impossible, convince us that this could be. Despite that what we will see in the coming week will scream to us that no, the gospel is not true, There is no gracious God. If there is, why are all these things happening? No, when we come together to worship on Sundays, it should restore our imagination. It should reshape our perception of reality. It should take the Bible story and implant it in our thinking and in our living. That the gospel becomes, if you wish, the background to our lives. We're living our lives on a stage, if you wish, and the background is the good news of Jesus Christ. Week after week, worship should invite us into a set of practices. This is how we are supposed to live. It's not here simply to inform us, give us information. Here's your script. No, it is to reshape us into the image of Christ. It should transform our lives and our behavior and our practices. That's why we do what we do each and every Sunday morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we said at the beginning of our worship, we are so grateful that you have called us together to worship you. Forgive us when we think that somehow this has been our idea all along. And it's sort of a great thing for you that we decided to show up and worship you that we are performing for you instead you have engaged us you've called us and we respond by your grace with worship and in the process we are being reshaped reformed that what we will do in the coming week we'll make a lot of mistakes sadly we will sin But by your grace, our lives, our practices will be shaped by what we did here today and what we've been doing here every Sunday. May we not fear. We're told not to fear. May we listen for you in scripture, but all around us as well. May we be people of prayer. May we be open-handed people. May we have a recognition that in all that we do, It's to be done to your glory. These are the things we learn here, each and every Sunday. 
But this isn't, isn't merely information. And for some of us, we are, for lack of a better way to put it, people of the mind. We are thinkers. It's, it's the gift that you have given us. But help us to see that we are much more than thinkers. We are those made in your image. You loved us, you love us, and you are reshaping us by your grace. Help us to think on these things. And as James tells us, may we not be hearers only, but doers as well. Thank you for bringing us together today, for calling us out. For all the wonderful things that were mentioned during the time for prayer. We pray for Pastor Eddie Lyons, that you would help him, you would heal him as he recovers. And for Dave as well, that his eye would heal quickly and well. Pray for Jason and Gwen as they travel, that you would give them safety. And again for Butch as he meets with the doctors tomorrow. Thank you for bringing us together today. May your spirit and your grace go with us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.